busted. Welcome to the Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine. Meet them, greet them, treat them, and street them. Today's date is January 13th, 2013, and this is episode 19, Bust a Move. I'm your host, Ken Milne. Let's jump in right away with the case scenario. Tonight, we've got a nine-year-old girl who's playing ringette. If you don't know what ringette is, it's ice hockey for girls played with a straight stick. She hurt her right dominant wrist by falling. She was seen in a, quote, academic, end of quote, pediatric emergency department one week ago. The diagnosis was a buccal fracture of the distal radius. She was placed in a below elbow, full cast, and had follow-up arranged with orthopedics. Now she presents to your community, i.e. non-academic hospital, with an itchy, painful cast. And dad's there, and he wants to know, does she really need a cast for just a buccal fracture? And can they follow up with their primary care physician? Before we drill down into the critical review today, let's talk about distal radius fractures in children. These fractures are the most common fractures in childhood. But there is a difference between a buccal fracture and a green stick fracture. So I want to be clear about this, what we're talking about today. So a buccal fracture, also called a torus, or T-O-R-U-S, are defined as a compression of the bony cortex on one side of the bone with the opposite cortex remaining intact. So close your eyes, open your imagination and think, yep, there's a buckle on one side of the bone, but the opposite cortex is fine. Now in contrast, a green stick fracture, a green stick fracture, there's that buckle still on the one side, but the opposite cortex is not intact. It's fractured. It's cracked. Now there seems to be a variety of approaches to the treatment of buckle fractures. Casting versus splinting and the length of immobilization. A survey done over a decade ago in Canada demonstrates this variability. There's even an apparent divide between what happens in North America, favoring casting, versus Europe, favoring splinting. And since this is an international podcast, I want to address all of this. So what's the question? Well, it's the question that the father brought up. Casting versus splinting for buccal fractures, and how about the follow-up? Now, as with most evidence-based or EBM uh, questions, it can get a little messy. As my mentor, Dr. Andrew Worster from McMaster always says, the EB answer is always, quote, it depends, Ken, end of quote. Now, looking back through the literature, without commenting on every single article on the subject, here are some highlights. And I want to mention these before the critical reviews of two more recent articles on the subject. Why? Why should I want to discuss old data from nine years ago in this case? Well, as SGEM listeners know, it can take an average of 10 years for high-quality, clinically relevant information to reach the patient's bedside. This case was an excellent opportunity to address this knowledge translation or KT problem. The father of the patient told me that the doctor at the Peds Emerge said splinting would be okay, but they were going to put a full cast down anyways. 
This is one of the key leaks in the Pathman Pipeway. The Academic Center was aware of the evidence, but I don't know if they accepted it, agreed with it, were able to act upon it, or adhere to the evidence. Now, a study done by Plint, which I mentioned earlier, in 2004, they published a retrospective chart review of 309 children with buccal fractures of the distal radius or ulna. The average age of the children in this study was nine years old, and we've got a nine-year-old girl in our case. They found no benefit to casting versus splinting in this study. None needed a reduction, none needed orthopedic intervention, and no displacement of the fracture was observed in follow-up. And there is potential harm when you think of it. An orthopedic visit? Well, that's time that a parent has to take out from their day, and a child may have to miss school for that visit. Also, a repeat x-ray is usually performed at these visits. And I know it's not a big deal for a limb x-ray. I'm not exactly sure how many, uh, you know, what the grade of radiation is. But again, we're becoming much more conscious about amount of radiation, especially in children. And if it's certainly not giving any benefit, and there is potential harm, even if it's small, why do it? And in 12% of the cases in this group of 309 children with buccal fractures, they had to have a subsequent ED visit for a cast problem. So they had to come back in, sit in a busy emergency department, and they had this problem with the circumferential cast they had on. Now, there were some limitations to this Plint study because it was a retrograde study, and retrograde studies do have limitations. It was also conducted as a single site, and in addition, and this is important, they lost 11% of their patients to follow-up. With these limitations, the authors did conclude, quote, orthopedic follow-up visits and radiographic follow-up may have minimal utility in the treatment of pediatric wrist buckle fractures. ED casting may pose more risks than benefits for these children. Splinting in the ED with primary care follow-up appears to be a reasonable management strategy for these fractures. A prospective study comparing ED splinting and casting for pediatric wrist fractures is needed. End of quote. Well, Plint rose to the challenge and did publish a prospective study in 2006. They published a randomized clinical control trial of removable splinting versus casting for wrist buckle fractures in children. Now, this was a smaller study. It only had 87 patients, and again, the average age was 9 years old, just like our case. And they used a self-reported outcome tool called the Activity Scales for Kids, or ASK. The Activity Scale for Kids, ASK. So they asked them. And this had a number of components to it. But the main outcome was the ASK score at 14 days post-injury. And this ASK score favored splinting over casting. So splinting was better. The details of the results were there was no difference in pain. Didn't matter. For a buccal fracture, whether you cast it or splinting, no difference in pain, but there was better function with the splint afterwards, less difficulty with daily activities, and in particular, bathing and showering. And I don't know if you're a parent out there and have had a kid doing sports, but stinky hockey equipment and stinky ringette equipment, it is a big deal to parents that those kids can bathe and shower after these activities. And of course, they could return to sports sooner was another outcome the splinting group could return to sports sooner. There were some limitations to this study as well. 
They could not blind the researchers to part of the ASK tool. So, you know, blinding is important. And there was also a high loss to follow up in this study. And there was no mention of intention to treat analysis. So we don't know if they did intention to treat analysis. And this is a little EBM point here. Intention to treat analysis helps eliminate some of the bias. What you do is you just analyze people no matter what group they ended up in, whether they... Um, you intended them to be in the treatment or control group because sometimes you have crossover or mix-up of the subjects and so this helps eliminate mm -hmm. some of the bias. The author's conclusions were, quote, children treated with removable splints have a better physical function and less difficulty with activities than those treated with a cast, end of quote. Okay, it took me eight minutes to get here. Let's jump ahead. Here is the most recent literature that we've reviewed on this. And these studies look at green stick fractures and or transverse fractures of the distal radius. And I want to point that out right away. These are green stick fractures and transverse fractures. And you guys should know what the difference between a green stick and a buckle fracture is, right? Buckle fractures were specifically excluded from these two studies. Therefore, these studies represent more serious fractures and risks of complication. So think about that when we're going to go back and treat our case scenario with just a buckle because these are more serious fractures. So we've, we've got um, the first reference is Cropman et al. And it's the treatment of impacted green stick forearm fractures in children using a bandage, a bandage like a, like a wrap, like a soft bandage or a cast therapy in a prospective randomized trial in the Journal of Trauma 2010. The population was children aged 4 to 13 presenting to the ED with impacted green stick fractures of the distal third of the radius or ulna. So this is distal third green stick fractures. Not buckle, but green stick fractures, so more severe. They used soft bandages for four weeks in the intervention group, and the control group had a below elbow back slab for one week, followed by a circumferential cast treatment, or CT, cast treatment, for three weeks. And the main outcome was pain, that was number one, two, discomfort, three, function, and four, fracture displacement. So the result was pain. Well, the kids who were treated with the BT or the bandage therapy had more pain in the first week, but after that there was no difference. And when they looked at discomfort, there was no difference in the use of pain medicine and less itching. So there was no difference in pain medication, and then there was less itching in the bandage group. When they looked at function, you had quicker return to normal function with just the soft bandage. And for fracture displacement, there was no difference in secondary angulation or refracture in either group. So the author's conclusion was, quote, bandage therapy, or BT, for impacted green stick fractures of the distal form is a safe technique. Patients treated with bandages suffer greater pain at the start of the treatment, but are able to return to normal activity sooner and less discomfort when compared to standard um, uh, casting treatment, end of quote. Now, our BEAM commentary on this was that this was a well-conducted randomized control trial, and that's what we want. We want randomized, well-conducted control trials. And the patients are generalizable to the populations that we see. And the sample size was moderate. They had 90 patients in this study. And our bottom line was that as long as patients are aware that the bandage therapy is associated with a little bit of increased pain in the first week post-injury, it's a safe alternative to traditional casting. And the patients might be more likely to return to normal function and experience less itching with this therapy. Now the next reference is by Boutris et al. 
and it is cast versus splinting in children with minimally angulated fractures of the distal radius, a randomized control trial, and this was published in the Canadian Medical Association Journal in 2010. So it's a bit of a shout-out for the uh, Canadian Journal. Now, this population had a convenient sample of children aged 5 to 12, so we're still in that range of a 9-year-old girl, presenting to the ED with a minimally angulated or displaced green stick fracture, so more severe than a buckle, or transverse fracture of the distal radius. In fact, they specifically excluded buckle fractures, growth plate fractures like Salter injuries, or open fractures. The intervention was a prefabricated splint in this case, not a soft bandage or a splint worn for four weeks, and the control was a short-arm fiber, fiberglass cast worn for four weeks. The outcome, well, the primary one, was physical function at six weeks using that ASK score, that activity score for children. And the secondary outcome was fracture angulation, pain, use of the splint, grip strength, and patient preference. So they looked at, you know, how did it look on the x-ray, what were the pain like, what was the function like, and what was the patient preference? Well, the result was, with the primary outcome, there was no difference in the ASK score at six weeks. No difference between the two treatment groups. And again, this is for green stick fractures and transverse fractures, not even just buckle fractures. And then the secondary outcome was there was no difference in fracture angulation, pain, or grip strength. But guess what? Patients and parents preferred a splint. So the author's conclusions were, quote, in children with minimally angulated green stick or transverse fractures of the distal radius, the use of a prefabricated splint was an effective as a short arm cast with respect to recovery to physical function. In addition, the device did not differ significantly with regards to the maintenance of fracture stability and the occurrence of complications. And the splint was superior, superior to the cast in terms of parental and patient satisfaction and preference. So our BEAM commentary, the best evidence in emergency medicine commentary on this 2010 study was, it's a well-conducted, randomized trial of 96 children. The methodology was sound and the follow-up, and important, the follow-up was excellent. Remember we talked about some of the other studies that were weaker earlier. There was a retrospective study. This is randomized. And then in Plint's study, there was a significant loss to follow-up, 11 or 12%. And so the follow-up on this was excellent. The researchers focused on clinically relevant outcomes, and there was no significant difference between the cast group and the splint group. This is the first study that examines this research question and further studies will be helpful in solidifying these conclusions. But the bottom line is, splinting appears to be a viable option for minimally angulated displaced fractures of the distal forearm in children. Now I've thrown in a few extra readings if you'd like. I've got a Cochrane review from 2008 on the interventions for treating wrist fractures in children. If you want to go through a Cochrane review, it's hard to do one of these SGM podcasts without mentioning Cochrane. And then there's a Ransberg and Sivestein, S-I-V-E-R-S-T-E-N, Sivestein. Uh, distal radius fractures in children, substantial differences in the stability between buckle and green stick fractures. And this was published in Acta Orthopedica in 2009. And I just want to pick out one little point in this. They concluded that buckle fractures are stable. And other, other authors have, have said that there's less than 1% chance of anything happening with these ones. And that they do not require follow-up. And six 
out of the 207 children in this study that had a buckle, so buckle was the most common, and six out of the 207 had a mild complication. What was the complication? It was a cast complication because they were all put in plaster casts. I, I bet you zero out of 207 would have had a cast complication if they weren't put in a cast. So the case scenario conclusion. The case scenario conclusion after going through all of this literature and research. A discussion was held with dad about his nine-year-old ring at star. The risks and benefits of casting versus splinting or just soft bandages was reviewed. And a shared decision was made to remove the cast that they had that was giving her problems and go with just a splint. He also preferred to follow up with his local primary care physician in two weeks rather than driving one hour to the pediatric orthopedic fracture clinic. The patient did well and is back on her team with full function. I think this is an excellent example of how EBM can be used to increase choices, not decrease choices, and I think that's a misconception. And the data can be a little messy. And we were talking about buckle fractures, but looking at some of the data that involve green stick fractures and transverse fractures. But discussing that and considering that and taking in the physician's knowledge and skills, taking in the patient's wishes and concerns, and then looking at the available data. And it's where those three things overlap that you get evidence-based medicine and the best outcome. And that's what we're looking for, the best possible care. All right, so Keener Contest. Last week's winner was Daniel Beamish, who is studying medicine in Australia. He correctly identified that GMEP stood for the Global Medical Education Project. And it's been defined by its founder, Dr. Mike Cadogan, as, quote, the Facebook of medicine, a place to share medical videos, discussions, questions, and conversations without feeling uber nerdy, end of quote. And if you've not joined this great FOMED movement, then what are you waiting for? So, this week's Keener Contest, this week's Keener Contest question, can you tell me the difference between buckle fracture and green stick fracture? Geez, if I don't get lots of correct answers, I have not done my job for knowledge translation and dissemination. Anyways, email your answers to thesgem at gmail.com and use Keener Contest in the subject line. First one to email me the correct answer will win a cool, skeptical prize. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, at the SGEM, and like me on Facebook. I could always use more likes. Okay, and all you procrastinators out there, time is running out for you to take advantage of Ski Beam 2013, February 4th to 6th at Silver Star, BC. If you want the most current EBM reviews from 2012, then email Teresa. Cut that KT window down to less than one year. And don't panic. As always, all bleeding will stop. Eventually. Remember to be skeptical of anything you learn, even if you heard it on the Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine. Talk to you next week.